Today on Act News Daily. Did where we selected bulls that were high for residual average daily gain and low for residual average daily gain. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It is Tech Tuesday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. My name is Delaney Howell, joined by Madison Honkamp and Mike Pearson. I'm actually sitting in my car right now. I am going to be covering Joe Biden's health care and rural initiative plan that he's rolling out at a, I guess, a campaign rally here in Lamar's, Iowa. Lamar's Iowa, the home of Blue Bunny ice cream and the ice cream capital of Iowa. Delaney, are you going to be getting some ice cream while you're there? I wish they'd have free ice cream here. It's a pretty steamy day. I think we could all use it. Honestly, if Biden's campaign campaign team is smart, that's what they'll be serving. I don't know. I guess we'll find. I guess media, though, you don't usually get to access the same stuff that the rest of the civilians get. Well, that's true. That's true. You got to keep the media separate because... All media people are dirtbags. Right. That's that's how I feel. Like, last <laughs> night I went to an event and you had to stay behind a rope the whole time. Well, but then again, you're meeting with the former Vice President Joe Biden. Being behind a rope far from him might be the best way to go. Yeah. We won't get into all that on the podcast. He's quite the hugger. Yeah, that article you sent me last night. Interesting stuff. We'll just leave it at that. <laughs> yes. So, Madison, what is going on in your world? Well, Mike, it is the start of county fair for Madison County this week. So, I've just been helping out where I can. I've graduated now and I'm an alumni, which is really weird to say. So, I don't have any I don't have to take any livestock in. I don't have to help, you know, wash show boxes. I don't have to wash feed pans. It's great. I just this get is, to sit in the air conditioning. This is your first nice. fair then as an alumni, right, Madison? Yeah. Yeah, but I did get roped into painting FFA signs uh, for the FFA no. chapter. But what's well, good? It's good to be used to Madison. Yeah, but it's still weird. Not. I was talking to some of my friends about it. And we're like, we don't have any like goats or calves or pigs to take in this year. We just can sit back and watch our younger siblings do it. It's it's we it's a weird feeling. Yeah. Well, I hope you have a lot of fun, and I hope you bring us some updates on uh, what happens at the shows, if anything crazy happens. Oh, I'm sure someone's animal will get loose. (laughs) You know, I actually have a story about that. So the year was 1997, and I was showing hogs, and they were all all home-raised from uh, our farm down there south of Winterset. And I, I had... I think I started with like nine and I was going to take a couple market animals and a pen of three. And, you know, I, I had a whole bunch and we had a couple of days like today early on in the summer. And we had hogs in the metal porta sheds out in the pasture. Mm-hmm. And those porta sheds, for those of you listeners who aren't familiar, they're basically uh, corrugated steel in a half moon shape. And when it's really sunny and there's no wind, they effectively become toaster ovens. And I had some pigs get cooked a little before the fair. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, I learned a lot about animal care that summer. Why does none of this surprise me? Right, right. You know, it was one of those days where I, you know, I wasn't as committed to livestock as I I was after this happened. Those pigs gave their lives to teach me a valuable lesson. But I did have a few left, and I took one in as as the market hawk, uh, Joe, and – it was a Berkshire, and I could not 
could not keep him in line. And he escaped from the pen like two or three times during the fair, would not go in the ring no matter you know how it was. I, I tried to shove him in there. But the judge came out into the alley and judged my hog, and I won. Grand champion. And how old were you, like 10 or 11? Yeah, 97. I was 12. Yeah, 11 okay. or 12. That's pretty yeah. cool for a 12-year-old to win. It was very cool. I still have the uh, still have the purple ribbon. Yes, all the ribbons. Well, it is county fair time, as Madison said. So, if folks, if you have any pictures of you or your children showing at county fair that you'd like us to share on our social media accounts, you can send them to us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Yes, definitely. But you know, speaking of animal welfare, that might so well learned about that summer um so this company through i believe it's the united kingdom actually it's arla herd vision um is creating a 3d uh, monitor for dairy cattle and basically this is meant so that it can be on the cattle at all times and monitor their individual health so and really assess any changes that happen. Um, This kind of reminded me of the newer robotic milkers that we have that can really scan, really kind of scans the cow from top to bottom to see if anything has changed or detects any um, bad bacteria or anything. And this has really come out since all of the issues with Fairlife and all the undercover videos of animal animal abuse so that they can monitor these cows and then again show consumers that you know this is how they're treated and this is how they are raised that's fantastic that that was really interesting it's really good for tech tuesday also absolutely Yeah. yeah we need to get them on the podcast and it's great to have more data points to back up the care that animals are receiving so that when consumers go to the grocery store, you know, I imagine they'll be able to look this stuff up if they want or processors will at least be able to have it. And they can track, you know, who is uh, providing quality care and anything that brings more honesty to any industry is just a good thing. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, and I- Go ahead, Delaney. Well, I was just going to say the dairy industry is one sector of agriculture that struggles with finding a sufficient and consistent workforce. We saw the Trump administration make a step yesterday to overhaul the current H-2A visa, farm worker visa program, and presented a 489-page notice of proposed rulemaking, which is apparently the first step there, posted by the Labor Department, which lays out a series of changes aimed at making the program easier for farmers to use. They said they want to overhaul the wage requirements and streamline the application certification process for the H-2A visa program and essentially changing the methodology used to determine the, quote, adverse effect wages rate, um, which basically puts a floor at a level that all H-2A visa workers have to be paid at. They're going to change that. They've said the wage has skyrocketed recently in some states, and they'd like to streamline that process, making it a little bit, I guess, more fluid is what it sounds like. And then also streamlining that by mandating electronic filing of job orders, applications, and promoting the use of digital signatures. Oh, well, 
you know, I, I, we need more, we need more labor. I think that's a fact. Um, you know, I, I get a little leery when we start talking about digital signatures, E-Verify, all of these different programs, because I've, I've had the chance to work with some employers who have used those programs, and uh, they weren't always 100% reliable. But again, that was five, seven, eight years ago, so I assume, I hope, they've gotten better. I assume they'd get better. You'd think with technology, they'd be able to fix some of that stuff, but who knows? Yeah, I don't know. Listeners, if you're out there, if you rely on uh, on H-2A visas to get help on your farm, we'd love to hear the story. Uh, none of the three of us have gone through the hiring process using those visa programs. We'd love to hear from folks who have done it and what the requirements are and, and how it's worked for you. Absolutely. So drop us a message on Facebook or Twitter. Just search for us at Ag News Daily. And I've got an update. I want to circle back to livestock real quick because we've got an update out of Argentina. Uh, we've talked for several years about the ongoing crisis, financial crisis in Argentina. The Argentine peso has weakened phenomenally. In interest rates are around 60%. And as one would expect in a debt-heavy industry like agriculture, those interest rates are causing farmers to change the way they do business. And one key way Argentinian ranchers are changing is they can't afford to pay their bills. They can't afford lines of credit. So they're selling breedable cows. And uh, they say that uh, we are seeing little over 50% of animals going into slaughter in Argentina are females, and that is above the docs, uh, the what is it considered to be the sustainable rate of uh, a female slaughter, which is 43%. And they say this trend could cut the herd by 400,000 head of cattle by 2020. Now, 400,000 sounds like a big number. They have 53 million cows in Argentina, so they're still a big cattle producer. But for the first time in years, we're seeing the beef industry in Argentina shrink rather than grow. And another thing that's really prompting these sales is that uh, China has been buying a decent amount of beef from Argentina, and they like the cheap cuts that you can get a lot of from uh, a mature cow. And so the farmers are making good money selling their cows, or the ranchers are making good money selling so, their cows. Do they have any yes. stipulation? You said they're bred cattle. Well, they're breedable. You know, oh. I don't think they're selling the bread. I. That's what I thought. Okay, that's what I thought you meant at first, and I was like, so that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But okay. No, they're selling. They're not replacing okay. heifers. They're yep. everything's going to market. Okay, gotcha. That makes sense. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. So we'll keep an eye on it. Um, Argentinians, I know we've got a couple of you who tune in. Uh, if you're in the beef business down there, same story. Reach out to us. We want to hear from you. Absolutely, we do. And I think farmers are finally excited in America. American farmers are finally excited that we've started to reach a point where the market facilitation program might actually come to fruition here. We've seen the White House office of management and budget has finally finished their review of the trade mitigation packages. As of yesterday, it's going to be a $16 billion package here. And we still don't know what the procedure was to calculating that, but obviously we know it's based on more than just one year's worth of production. And it's based on county payment rates, but it is officially official that it's been approved. And President Trump said, I'm going to give the farmers, we're going to help them out because they are great patriots and... 
we're going to give them $16 billion, and we just did, been approved, and I approved it. So, sounds like we really actually might see that finally rolled out soon. Hmm, okay. I think a lot of folks are more than ready to get the details. Yeah, I think so too. I personally am. Right? I Man, actually, give us something to talk about besides we don't know what the heck is coming well, out. Well, right. Next week, I'm actually going to D.C. I think I forgot to tell you guys. I'm going to D.C. and I have a, a tentative interview scheduled with Secretary Purdue. Um, so I'll have a little more insight, I hope, after I get to sit down with him. Fantastic. What is taking you to D.C., Delaney? Um, just doing some interviews for Market to Market. Wonderful, wonderful. We'll see if you can't just, you know, swing into the Oval Office and bend Trump's ear a little bit. I think that would be awesome. I wish I could. You know, there was that guy during Obama's presidency. He just straight up jumped the fence and made it into the White House. I know, hey, but you're didn't tall. He get, you didn't can hustle. He get shot. No, he got tackled. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure character. the security now is a little bit higher. I don't think so. <laughs> yeah, you might be right. It's worth a shot, though, Delaney. Uh, I'll leave that up to you. No, no, I think I probably would get shot. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I've got something interesting here that a lot of us, uh, I think we need to be aware of. It's a long way off. It is in the planning stages. But Russia, which has a fair amount of arable land, not great quality soils unless you count the Ukraine, but Russia itself doesn't have uh, have great soils, but the Russian government has said that they anticipate their total production to get as high as 150 million tons by 2035. And they're going to push it there, they say, by investing billions of dollars in infrastructure and logistics in Russia. So basically, this 2035 strategy, that's what the Russian government is calling it, has been sent to the various uh, – Congress, I don't know what they call it in Russia, but um, for $70 billion, and they want to get funds drawn in from private investors, loans, and government financing, and they want to basically wrap up or ramp up investment in the country. And uh, this is designed to help uh, President Vladimir Putin increase the country's exports of ag products, and they want to be exporting $45 billion worth of grain by 2024. So Russia... We don't think about them very often. Of course, they're a huge wheat and corn producer, and uh, it looks like they're going to try to get even huger. Well, that's not a great great story if you're a U.S. wheat producer. It's not a great story. It's something we need to be aware of. Yes, absolutely. Russia's gunning. They are. I think they also like to do Chinese-related things, like where they just say stuff to distort the market, though. Um, sort of, but it sounds like this is a, a legitimate plan that has been proposed. They have sent this into their, their government for discussion. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, it does sound like one of their main things they're going to focus on is improving port facilities, increasing elevators, and uh, basically getting enough transloading facilities constructed that they can more effectively move grain, which, I mean, those all sound like things the Russian government is, you know, capable of doing if they put their money where their mouth is, I suppose. Okay. Thank you for shedding some light on that. You're welcome, Delaney Hall. It's what I'm here for. Yeah, I know. You're just a wealth of information. I am. Most of it is useless, but every now and again I get a <laughs> nugget that's somewhat worthwhile. <laughs> Madison, do you have any more nuggets of worthwhile news for today? 
Well, I just have one, and it is about fishless fish. Um, so I saw this article in the New York Times. This was a couple of days ago. Um, but so obviously we have, you know, plant-based chicken nuggets, plant-based hamburgers, but now they're creating, Impossible Foods is creating fishless fish, so plant-based fish, um, which I kind of thought was real weird because I don't know how you can make fish uh, plant-based, but they are still working on developing alternatives for traditional seafood um, or with the plant-based recipes or laboratory techniques that allow scientists to grow fish from cells. So again, like lab-grown meat, but with fish and the, this is part of Impossible Foods kind of Grand ambition to devise tasty replacements for every animal-based food on the market by 2035. Um, so I think we're going to be seeing a lot more of that plant-based um, protein as well as lab-grown protein. So it's another thing that we will we'll probably see hitting um, shelves here soon. All right, plant-based fish. I, I wonder how they're going to get that fishy smell to come out of plants. Uh, you know, I know if you, if you get soybeans wet and you leave them outside to kind of rot, they develop a distinctive odor. Maybe they can incorporate mm. that somehow. Take my advice, mm -hmm. uh, Impossible Foods. I think I'm fine with it not smelling like fish. That's yeah. the one. I love fish, but that's the one thing. It's like sometimes some of the fish is like really pungent. That's how you know it's the good stuff. Oh, okay. Or yeah. the old stuff. <laughs> the old stuff, Some dank, yeah. some dank fish. Mm, nice. Oh. Well, I tell you what, Madison Delaney, do you have any other news? I think I'm out for today. We're out. Well, let's jump into the markets. What do you say? Let's do it. All right. And our markets are brought to us by our friends at the Zaner Group. Remember, you can put a plan in place to manage your marketing risk this year. There's volatility in the market that creates some opportunities. Give us a shout at Zaner by calling 312-277-0050 or visit the website at Zaner, Z-A-N-E-R.com and tell us you heard it on Ag News Daily. We've got red on the screen in the grains today. Day and in the cattle market, that's kind of a red day. Starting with the corn, September contract down five and three quarters at four thirty-five and a quarter. December also down five and three quarters to finish at four forty-one and a quarter. In soybeans, the September down fourteen cents on the day, closed at eight ninety-three and three quarters. The November also dropped fourteen cents to finish the day at nine oh six even. In Chicago wheat, the SEP was down a quarter penny to close at five oh seven and a half. December down three quarters of a cent to finish the day at five nineteen and a quarter. Jumping into the world of livestock, as I mentioned, a little weakness here in the cattle complex. August live cattle down 27.5 cents at 108.2250. The October down 52.50 to finish at 109.25. In feeder cattle, the August was off 60 cents at 141.05, with September down 72.5, finishing the day at 141.8750. And mixed trade in lean hogs, the August was off $1.05 at 79.05, with the October up $1.40, finishing the day at 75.30. And of course, we can't forget about, about our friends in the dairy industry. Mixed trade in class three milk with the July contract down a penny at 17.32 and the August up six cents to wrap the day at 17.49. Well, folks, our hashtag Tech Tuesday interview for the day is based out of Kansas and 
They're out cutting wheat. So we are going to pick them up on Thursday and play that for you next week. In lieu of that conversation today, we are going to be hearing a report from our friend Bob Cervera, who was down in Georgia talking to Dean Pringle, a University of Georgia animal scientist, about how his research goals include understanding the biology of efficiency in beef production and what his recent work is as it relates to the trade-offs that can happen in beef production in particular. So with that, Madison, what do you say? Should we throw it over to Bob and Dean for Tech Tuesday? Let's do it, Mike. To find out how to select efficient cattle, we have to sort out and use animals from both ends of the spectrum, as seen in this University of Georgia research. We started off um, with uh, a group of cows that we selected, where we selected bulls that were high for residual average daily gain and low for residual average daily gain. Um, and again, from a, a commercial standpoint, we would, wouldn't necessarily want those low efficiency animals, um, but we felt like it was important for us to focus on, on developing these diverse populations for, for future studies. Meat science says it's easier to efficiently create protein than fat or lipid. So Pringle wondered if it's possible to maintain high carcass quality with more profitable growth and finishing. Because we know that uh, lipid is less efficient to produce in the animal than, uh, than protein. And so that was the question that kept coming into the back of my mind is as we, as we chase this efficiency, are we going to be impacting carcass merit? In those animals and so within each efficiency group we also selected um, a portion of those bulls that we used to uh, that were in the top uh, five percent of the the breed for marbling and then we uh, shot for breed average for um, half of those bulls that were used in the, the high and the low feed efficiency group. Shopping and selecting for genetics led to unique lines of predominantly Angus cattle. So we had really four different lines of cattle that we started developing and are continuing to develop. One that's high efficiency with high marbling, one that is low efficiency with high marbling, one that's high efficiency with breed average marbling, and then one that's low efficiency with breed average marbling as well. The researchers found that cattle more efficient in feed conversion also ate less feed than average, but carcass quality was not affected. So that validated to us that uh, if a producer uses that residual average daily gain EPD as part of their selection criteria, they should in fact over time produce more efficient animals. It didn't seem that the the selection or the pressure that we put on efficiency really impacted the marbling in those animals, which I was glad, again, from a meat scientist standpoint, I was glad to see that, that those two uh, traits seem to be somewhat disconnected uh, genetically. That's good news for everyone who aims to improve efficiency in beef cattle while maintaining progress on carcass and maternal traits. They don't have to give up carcass quality in order to improve efficiency. It is incredibly important for us to improve efficiency, but as we chase after that, we have to make sure that we don't negatively impact, you know, female productivity as well. I'm Bob Cervera. Well, thanks, Bob. Thanks, Dr. Pringle. Appreciate the insight there, as always. Delaney, if our listeners want to get caught up on past episodes, where should they go to do that? 
Well, they can listen to us on most any podcast directory. We had a question about an app earlier today on Twitter. We don't have an app. That's something that's in the works. But you can always find us on Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher. What's the Android app, Mike? Apple. Uh, There's a billion of them. Just any place that you get podcasts. Or you can always find us online, globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily. Yes, indeed. And Madison, if they want to get in touch with us, share their thoughts, share their photos, and share their updates from the field, where should they go to do that on social media? Well, they can always find us at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And always share your pictures. We love to see what um, everybody is doing within the industry. Yes, indeed, folks. Check us out. And with that, ladies, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.